The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And on this episode, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Michelle Harper, who's an emergency room doctor and a New York Times bestselling author. Michelle has worked as an emergency room physician for more than a decade in the South Bronx and in Philadelphia. Michelle's book, The Beauty in Breaking, weaves together the story of her life and her interactions with patients in the emergency room. The New York Times named it one of the top 100 notable books of 2020 and called it a riveting, heartbreaking, sometimes difficult, always inspiring story. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you all here today. Tell us more about the meaning behind the title of the book, The Beauty in Breaking. A metaphor that I I typically call upon, and I apologize in advance. Because no matter how I practice, I, I know I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but um, I, I hearken back to the, the ancient Japanese art of kintsukoroi. And in that practice, if a piece of pottery, for example, is broken, then instead of just discarding it, it is repaired using an amalgam of precious metals, whether it's um, platinum, silver, uh, yellow gold. And the thinking is that in the repair, we're not just ignoring what it's been through. We're highlighting the cracks and it, its repair process um, makes it that much more beautiful. And I feel the same is true of humans. I mean, this is, this is not a practice of, of romanticizing trauma, but acknowledging that things will be difficult, that we will be changed for our experiences, um, that we will not be the same for what we've been through but we can, we can become more resilient. We can become stronger. And, and I consider that more beautiful. So yes, the beauty in breaking, the beauty in the repair. You wrote this over six years, and I know that you went through different seasons of life during that time. And obviously COVID wasn't around. Tell us about the personal hardships that you faced and how you evolved with the book. Yeah, roughly, roughly. Don't hold me to that deadline exactly. I had to go through my emails <laughs> to, do, to double check. And like the scientist in me wants to be very precise. So, so, but yes, over multiple years. And um, at times it was challenging because it, it's a memoir. So I explore the difficulty of my childhood and growing up in an abusive home with a batterer for a father. I talk about some difficulties in my career as a Black woman physician and what I have faced in terms of structural bigotry, whether it's racism or sexism in this nation. And so when I got to writing the book, I felt that I had processed a lot of that, that I was strong enough to discuss my childhood or my divorce um, parts of my career. And I really was, but I did find that in writing it, 
it was a whole new level of, of catharsis and processing. And so in that way, some of the processing, yeah, was happening very much contemporaneously with the writing or with the breakup of um, my second relationship. I've had two major romantic relationships so far. I was really processing that as I was writing it. So it presented a, a challenge I didn't anticipate and also gifts that I couldn't have predicted. I'm wondering how the interactions with patients in the emergency room have helped to heal you because you write so movingly and beautiful about that, but how have they helped? And I do want to say that um, they have. I also feel that every interaction that I have as a human being, I mean, whether it's with a patient or whether, whether it's with someone cutting me off in traffic on 95. There are lessons in all of them. So I I do want to highlight that because there are some unique interactions I have as an ER doctor, but I feel that we all have these experiences in life, no matter what we do. So for example, in the ER, when I am taking care of an older man who was just receiving the diagnosis that the cancer he thought had gone away, that he had um, got medical treatment for, and he believed was in remission um, decades prior. Now I was seeing him in the ER. He just came in with a, a nagging discomfort in his abdomen. And I had to tell him that the cancer was back and that it had spread. And seeing him in that moment, how he received that information Um, At that time, he was surrounded by uh, family members, um, his son, his son's wife, and him acknowledging in that moment, quietly, peacefully, that he had a really good life, that he liked, he wanted to feel as healthy as possible. He didn't know, and this is a deeply personal decision that he was making and sharing with me. He didn't know if he was going to do aggressive treatments, chemotherapy, radiation, or surgeries if it was called for. He wanted to feel as good as possible for as much time as he had. And I just remember he was so still, so quiet, so peaceful. And he hugged me for having that conversation with him, for receiving whatever it is he wanted to explain, for allowing that space for him to just feel like a human being who was heard and who had the right to make his own decisions about his body. Um, And I remember thinking in that moment that if he could meet that part of his life with that amount of equanimity, that certainly that right now at, at that point, when as far as I knew I was healthy, that I could face my challenges as well, which were not, which were not, receiving, which was not receiving a diagnosis of metastatic cancer. So it's, it's, it's interactions like that, where I felt there was always some gift, some pearl in, in, in my communications with the patient. You mentioned that he had family, he had a support system during Mm -hmm. that stay. And I think so much about these families who have had loved ones with COVID and haven't been able to say goodbye to them. What was the difference like between those who had family and those who didn't? Well, that's the thing. And there are many times in life though, when 
no one is around. And there are times in life when the people who are around are part of the trauma, which is even worse in many cases than being alone. So it, it's true. He was very fortunate and he acknowledged that, that he had these positive relationships with his family member. There are times during COVID, um, especially previously when in the ER, there were no visitors, period, uh, if someone was an, an adult, where people were alone, um, a lot of loneliness, whether it was they were alone because they were facing an illness such as COVID and now were going to be treated in the ER alone, admitted alone, having to face worsening illness, potentially never seeing their family member again, losing their life alone. Other patients who were feeling such loneliness because of the other consequences of, of COVID. The young woman who came in anxious, not knowing, not feeling suicidal, but knowing that she wanted her pain to end because she was a young woman who was working in a grocery store. She was being harassed at work. She felt she didn't have the power to leave her job, though, because she didn't have any support system. She had no other way of paying her bills. And now with COVID, there was no way for her to, the few people she knew she couldn't see and not knowing where else to go. So coming to the emergency room just to speak to us, just to have this conversation, asking me, do I think she's crazy for the way she feels? In that moment, I told her, no, she's absolutely right. And we spoke about um, if she really was safe at work, we had to do that screening, of course, to make sure she wasn't in danger, giving her resources in that way. Also asking her, what else can, can I do for you? And then she's saying to me, I just wanted to have the conversation and now I feel better. Thank you. I can go on. So there's all of that that we're facing during the time. I mean, I will tell you as an ER doctor, I saw this before COVID and now with COVID, it's been exacerbated. The one positive, it's strange wording, but if I can say the one positive of this time is that I feel that as a society, we're recognizing it more. So more, we're more willing to have these discussions, to hold compassion for the, our, our neighbors, our, our fellow people in this country. And, and that I hope, I hope that will cause us to make change so that, so that we can more effectively and sustainably help each other through this time and the times coming up. This episode is sponsored by Ritual. We're glad to have you as part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we want to tell you about Ritual's essential protein products. As you may know, protein powders can be intimidating. But the fact is that we all need protein. It's not just about muscles. Protein helps support bone health and so much more. And as we go through life, our protein needs change. So it's important to choose a mix for different life stages. Ritual's Essential Protein is a delicious plant-based protein powder with three distinct formulas designed to meet the body's changing protein needs during various life stages. There's Daily Shake 18 Plus, Daily Shake 50 Plus, and Daily Shake Pregnancy and Postpartum. Each of these three thoughtful formulas contains 20 grams of pea protein per serving. Ritual's Essential Protein Powder is a good foundation for your health that's easy to incorporate into your daily rituals. I just add water, shake, and sip, and I 
love the great taste. So do I, and we think you will too. It's a delicious handcrafted vanilla flavor from sustainably harvested Madagascar vanilla bean extract. There's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. It's soy-free, gluten-free, and non-GMO. We've used Rituals products for several years, and we're big fans of their multivitamin and gut health products as well. We really appreciate that with Rituals one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. Ritual offers a super flexible subscription service with free shipping for subscribers. Ready to shake up your protein ritual? Our Nobody Told Me listeners get 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash NTM. Ritual even offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Visit ritual.com slash NTM today for 10% off your first three months. Again, that's ritual.com slash NTM for 10% off your first three months. What was it like working in an emergency room pre-COVID versus during the height of COVID in New York? I mean, weren't there some days when you just at the end of a shift were ready to tear your hair out and quit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I am, um, we're talking, I'm working in New Jersey. So at the height of it, I will tell you, and I wrote a little bit about this um, in an essay, there was no time to process it. I mean, it was really just felt like being in the height of stress. I mean, I've not been to war, but I've heard people talk about it where, you know, when you're in the midst of war, uh, when you're in the midst of a highly pressurized situation, the goal is to get through it. That's it. That's what we were there to do. We would come in every day, take care of patients, literally just running around the department, trying not to die ourselves um, and just helping as many people as humanly possible. And then the processing happens later, you know, putting on our PPE, not having enough, feeling so frustrated that we were not being supported as healthcare providers in this nation. Many people not being able to go home because they didn't want to infect their families. So sleeping in in friends' converted garages or their cars, whatever it took. So that's what it was like. And and now this prolonged pandemic, I mean, I, I knock wood every day that in my uh, part of the nation, we have high vaccination rates. Thank God. So we're not seeing the, the, the death and devastation physically from COVID that other parts of the country are seeing. So, so I'm hoping that we can just do our parts to maintain precautions to get vaccinated so that we can get a handle on this so that healthcare providers, you know, instead of many have been fired, furloughed, hours have been cut, pay has been cut um, in order to, because of the way our healthcare system is set up to recoup financial quote unquote losses. There's a better way. There's a better way to have a system uh, that is focused on actual healthcare. And that means the wellness of the providers, the wellness of the patients. There are models that do this all over the world. And, and I hope that one of the things to come out of this is that we see that investing in public health, investing in the, the health of the people in this nation so that everyone has healthcare, so that healthcare isn't tied 
to employment that is profit-based. I hope that we finally get it in this country and make better choices. I really want to go back to what you said about healthcare workers and their wellness. A lot was decided to get out of the industry as mm-hmm. a result of COVID and just how traumatic it was. Do you see them coming back to it once they take a minute to reevaluate? Or do you think it's just been so damaging on them that they're going to move on? You know, the, the damage started before COVID. It's really been exacerbated. Just seeing how we've been made to feel disposable as individuals. I will say this, you know, many of the people that I work with and that, that I come in contact with through this book, speaking with providers across the country on different social media chat groups. There are many of us in healthcare who are committed. It's part of our life mission to make positive changes in healthcare. So, you know, so I always say, I understand the exasperation, the burnout. Um, No one should have to put up with abuse. I 100% agree with that. I also feel that for my part, I'm not ready to leave it. You know, so I always joke, you know, if, let me be careful about my language. When someone deposits $10 million in my bank account, (laughs) I still, I still want to be here now because I believe that people deserve to be cared for appropriately. And there's some work. Yes. There's so much. Part of the reason I wrote the book was there's only so much change I can, I can create within the existing house of medicine. It's just not set up to make radical changes quickly right now. So I wrote this book and I have conversations with people like you and do speaking events. But then part of the work I have to do still within the house, we've got to kind of clean up, tear down and rebuild this house. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I want to be here to do the work. And I hear other providers saying the same. I don't get me wrong. People are exhausted, but for those of us for whom this is part of our calling, we're not leaving and we are actively recruiting. (laughs) (laughs) Our Nobody Told Me conversation continues as we help spread the word about our sponsor, Blissy. Blissy, spelled B-L-I-S-S-Y, makes all kinds of products to help you get a great night's sleep. I've been sleeping on a Blissey Mulberry Silk pillowcase this past week, and it's made a wonderful difference in the quality of my sleep. Me too. Seriously, because silk is what's best for your hair and your skin. It reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakage. That's because it keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin, unlike cotton does. With the Blissey pillowcase, you can say goodbye to wrinkly skin in the morning and wake up with healthier and shinier hair you can be proud of. I love I love the way my skin looks and the way my hair feels after sleeping on a Blissey pillowcase. And I love the fact that Blissey's pillowcases regulate temperature, keeping you cool at night. The entire pillow is cool to the touch. No more sweaty nights spent tossing and turning as you search for the cool side of your pillow. Blissey pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic, so you can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes. And unlike other silk pillowcases, Blissey's are machine washable and durable. 
With the holidays just around the corner, why not give the gift of better sleep? And what better gift could you give? And Blissey products come in gift-ready packaging. Blissey is the 2021 Good Housekeeping winner for Best Bedding, so you can rest assured that you're giving a great gift. Everybody loves them. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone, even kids. They have over 1 million raving fans, and you could be next. Try now risk-free for 60 nights at blissey.com slash nobody and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash nobody and use code nobody to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. Sleep better with Blissey and use code nobody to get an additional 30% off at blissey.com slash nobody. And Blissey has set up a great web page for our listeners. So if you're looking for a better night's sleep for yourself or someone on your gift list, check out the wonderful products and fantastic deals at blissey.com slash nobody. What is it about being an emergency room physician that keeps you coming back day after day? Because I've always heard that it's one of the most stressful jobs a person could possibly have. And I know there must be times when you're frustrated because the the urgent needs in the emergency yeah. room prevent you from maybe doing all that you could do to, to oh, perhaps yeah. help a patient emotionally. So why do you keep coming back day after day? Because there's a need and I go where the need is. And I would say specifically because I grew up in an abusive home and I know what it feels like to not know in any given moment, if you're going to live or die, I mean, it, it certainly feels, even if it's not a matter of life or death, it feels that way. And only having a snapshot of, t- of time to make a decision, okay, what do I have to do right now to get through this or to help keep the people I care about safe or to, to survive? And I felt this way from a very young age so that one day I can help other people because I, I understand, I felt it, I've breathed it, I've lived it. And so I know that because I have this kind of intimate relationship with trauma from young, I know that that affected me so that, <laughs> so then I looked for that space where I could go back there. But when I went back there, I wanted to transform it so that potentially people could find their own healing there. And I, I know kind of on a cellular intuitive level, I know that that's why I did that instead of being a civil rights attorney, that it, 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 my path was just set up that way. I do believe if I wasn't an ER doctor, I would be a civil rights attorney, but I was led in this specific path or why I'm not a, a fourth grade teacher or, or a plumber. I mean, because this work can be done in any single field, but my experiences as a child just led me to this one resilience is a quality that you've realized is super important and you've seen people overcome things that seem insurmountable. What have people taught you, your patients taught you about resilience that you've applied to your life outside the hospital? That there are many times in life where we don't choose what happens, but but the next part, 
how we will cope, manage. That part is our choice. I think about one of the stories I tell in the book. And sometimes people ask me, you know, what was your favorite or what was the the story that tugs at your heart the most? And all of them are special to me in different ways, um, of course. But but the one that that has that always stayed with me for years and to this day was when I met a female veteran um, in the psychiatric part of the ER. She was just coming in for medical clearance. And medical clearance is when somebody just needs a doctor to sign off that they're medically okay for the next part of their treatment, typically like a sober house or following with a therapist for depression or anxiety, something along those lines. And this particular woman, she was young, healthy, Black woman. I could have been in and out of the room. There, there was nothing going on with her medically. And she had mentioned she was healing from trauma. She was um, becoming sober from alcohol and trying to go on with her, her life now. But I couldn't help but asking her, you know, I, I left the room, I turned back and I said, I know you mentioned trauma you overcame and in the military, if you want to speak about it, I would like to ask you what it was, because I felt like if I didn't, I would somehow be complicit, that I would be brushing over it the way I've seen happen with so many. And then she told me how she was sexually assaulted by colleagues in the military, um, one peer and one supervisor, and how not only had they committed this crime against her body, but then they tried to take her career away from her by ruining her records so that she would lose her job and her benefits. Well, she'd been subsequently reassigned. They were helping her reestablish her record. She was no longer working with them. What I can't tell you is if they faced any consequences at all, and neither could she. But we spoke about it. And there was, as she spoke about it, she looked like she was transported back to this time, back to this war that followed her home. But after she shared the story and after we spoke about the fact that she deserved to feel well, she deserved to heal, she deserved to get be honest and had already done so much work to do so that she, yes, it was was great that this team and her therapist were helping her, but that she really had done the work to save herself. And there was this lightness that just overtook her in that moment. And she said that she was thankful that we could have this discussion because she hadn't really told anyone the whole story before. And I was thankful to be there with her. You know, I was late. I was already over time. I was going to be that much later. But I needed to be there with her. I needed her to know that there were people who cared and would listen. You know, what I, what, I, what I didn't say because it wasn't appropriate in that moment. What I speak about, what I wrote about in the book is that it, it was appropriate for her to focus on her survival. That's what she needed to do. It was more courage and strength than most humans have 
And for the rest of us who aren't in survival mode, who have that privilege of safety and any, any modicum of power, I feel it is my responsibility to leverage that, to change the systems, because it's not just those two men and it's not just the institution, the fabric of the military, but of this nation that allowed that to happen. So it is for us to address it, dismantle it, and make a better choice. And so it was her resilience in the moment that inspired me. And I felt completely infused with it and gave me strength to do this other work on a daily basis. Michelle, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about being an emergency room physician or or being someone who was broken that yeah, you had to healing? Yeah, that you had to learn the hard way that you'd like to pass on to somebody else so that maybe they don't have to go through as much suffering. An important part I feel that I think often gets lost in the sauce with this kind of wellness healing world is that these challenges in life, they don't just go away if you think happy thoughts. They don't just, that life doesn't become easy just because you grow and you're nice. There will always be new challenges. And that we will be in positions again that we don't choose and that we may face suffering and hardship that may feel uh, insurmountable. And it has nothing to do with the quality of our, our character or the extent to which we believe. It doesn't mean that we didn't master the lesson. It just means that we're a human being who walks this earth. It just means that there's more to learn and experience. It just means that there's more to feel and do. And that that's what real, I believe, that's what real healing is, the opportunity to do it again and again. You just explained that in such a beautiful way that <laughs> I know it's going to help people who are going through tough yeah, times yeah. And, and feel frustrated at that idea of they can hope and pray away their, their <laughs> yeah. cancer or whatever. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I really, right. really yeah. love that. And how can people connect with you and learn more about this fabulous book that we love so much? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm on Facebook and Instagram periodically part of my wellness is not being on social media that much or my website. <laughs> Good for my you. Website. Yeah. MichelleHarper.com. And uh, yeah, those are the best ways I'm out there just living my life. <laughs> and Michelle Harper is with one L and Michelle. <laughs> one L. Yeah. <laughs> I spell, I know. I, I, well, I spell it correctly. So I'm just going to put that out there. Ooh, well, my <laughs> middle name is Michelle and I have two L's. <laughs> 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 the rivalry of the Michelle continues. <laughs> Either way, it's a beautiful name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Our thanks again to Dr. Michelle Harper, author of The Beauty in Breaking, 
a memoir which is now out in paperback. And again, her website is michelleharper.com. And that's Michelle with one L. I'm Jan Black. (laughs) And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.